Hello and welcome to The Talent Blueprint, your guide to building a company where talent comes first. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery, the talent lifecycle management platform that helps organizations hire candidates faster, develop the skills of their workforce, and increase employee retention. Hello and welcome to this week's installment of The Talent Blueprint. I am your host, Sultan Seidoff. Today, I'm super excited to welcome Elle Leborg, the Global Head of Talent Acquisition at Hilti. Elle, so nice to have you here. Let's kick off. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about your rather unusual and varied career journey. <laughs> Thank you, Sultan. It's really nice to be here. As you know, I'm a longtime listener, so this is a, a bucket list moment, I think. My career actually started in supply chain management, so I kind of found my way to HR through various functional job changes. My career started in the beer industry. I worked at Anheuser-Busch. I survived the acquisition with InBev, and that opened up a lot of doors in terms of career mobility, so I moved around quite a bit. I started out in logistics using my supply chain background, ended up in procurement, which was just not for me. And then sidestepped into a finance role, which is something that I had been fighting for quite some time, but a mentor pushed me in that direction and really glad I did that. I had some children there along the way and eventually found myself in HR through total rewards. So using my finance background, that was my first gateway job into HR. Then I had the opportunity to join the organization that was going to be in New York City. The company decided, hey, we're going to move sales and marketing from St. Louis to New York City. Would you like to help lead this project? And that was an amazing, insane experience. At the time, I had a four-month-old. It was a busy, busy time in my life, but I moved everybody to New York and did a lot of different things from being HR business partner to hiring people at lightning speed to designing an office and finding temp space. It was a crazy journey, but when that settled, then I moved into more of a traditional HR business partner job for the marketing team. Loved that. The job there at Anheuser-Busch for HR is one where they really empower their HR side. So I got to learn so, so much. And then I also got tired of HR. It was kind of emotionally taxing at the end of the day. So I decided to take a sidestep into marketing and there we had an amazing challenge ahead of us to reinvigorate the marketing team with bringing back their creative skills and to increase the capabilities of that team. So myself and a dear mentor of mine who unfortunately passed away not too long ago, uh, we started this team and the goal was to help the team win can Lions for creativity and they did eventually. So it was a really cool sidestep in my career. Eventually, I ended up leaving Anheuser-Busch, uh, moving to Dallas to work for Hilti. I started there as a business partner, learning construction. I, again, had no idea. I hadn't thought about construction and how a building goes up ever in my life. So I've learned a ton. And then I started this uh, new role two years in called the People Engagement Office, which was a role that I designed with our current CHRO, meant to bring together a lot of groups that we're sitting under HR, but not necessarily well-developed or talking to each other. And that was DE&I, talent management, people analytics, and social impact. And that was just a fantastic, fantastic role. 
At the same time, got my coaching certification, so I started doing that on the side and also for the organization. And then last February, our CHRO came to me and asked if I would be interested in leading the global talent acquisition team, which was shocking and a huge surprise because I don't have that in my career uh, in HR outside of being a hiring manager. But what was really cool was the challenge that was posed, which was, hey, we have to hire between 55,000 to 70,000 people in six years. And the way that we're doing talent acquisition today is never going to get us there. So can we redesign what we do globally between the teams, the structures, the processes, everything, and meet the challenge? So that's why I ended up taking it, because I can't resist uh, something that has the possibility of not working out. <laughs> I need that extra edge. <laughs> well, it, it also sounds like a bold move by Hilti's leadership to bring you into this role based on your potential and breadth of insights. You mentioned getting into executive coaching and doing that on the side. Is that something you're still doing? What drew you into that in addition to all of the responsibilities that you'd already had? I mean, for that, I really, I do need to thank Hilti because they, they opened me up to this world as, as a possible career. I had the privilege of attending a, a training session with Hilti put on by Egon Zender and started talking to their coaches, didn't even know that this was a profession. You know, it's usually something that only executives or C-suite has access to. And so it was, it was this new world that I hadn't been introduced to. And then after discussions with their head of coaching for North America, I applied to Georgetown's program. Again, really surprised, got in and was eight months in that training program. And I brought coaching to Hilti in a different way because, again, it was mostly for the C-suite. And I offered, you know, hours myself or my peers coaching hours. And that really has developed nicely over the last 12 months. And now I run a small practice on the side with a handful of clients at a time. I've really, really enjoyed helping people one-on-one, -on -one, especially when it comes to careers and feeling stagnant and everybody has that answer within them. They just sometimes need a little bit of the right questions to answer. It sounds like this mindset also permeates your thought process around how to meet that ambitious hiring goal of 55 to 75,000 people, this mindset of how to be more agile in identifying the ways of hiring talent for potential, the ways of looking at potential internally. How are you thinking about that methodology and how much of that is a carryover for some of the insights you gained in the, in the people engagement office and the work you did there? The facts of our industry is we know that talent markets tight everywhere, but mostly, you know, we experience a lot of it because construction isn't necessarily like a sexy industry that people think about ever. And then our business, we're trying to expand into software and services, which is, again, a completely different profile. And tech doesn't always think about construction as their first choice for where they want to work. So we know that when we bring somebody into the company, we, we are likely not to get everything in one go, especially the quantities of people that we need. The way that we're approaching our challenge is looking for what somebody's potential could be. Do they have the aptitude, the affinity for a certain subject? And then how can we hire them in with maybe 40% of what they need and then train them 
in-house, develop their skills, and then redeploy them into a different place. Our strategy is this mix of, yeah, can we acquire talent that's ready to go? But we're also realistic in that let's acquire talent that needs support. We'll train them, we'll support them, and then they can have long careers here at Hilti. What is an example of where you've looked at this transferability of skills as something that has opened up talent pools and change change your hiring strategy? You know, looking at adjacent skills is necessary. It increases talent pool sizes 10x. But I think the practical nuance of, of what does that mean for me, for my organization, many folks have struggled with. And I found some interesting examples of folks of both on this podcast and across our client base that zoom in on very precise cases where something like a experience or background in crafts has led people into roles in sophisticated design of satellite dishes, things that may not be obvious, but actually tie in with people's interests and how they think about working. But there's also soft skills and lived experiences that give people either a propensity or potential to doing something. What are some of the things you've thought about within Hilti? as examples for identifying transferable skills, either in how you look at external talent pools or defining work or hiring from within? To be honest with you, I don't think that as an organization, we have found a systematic way to do this yet. It's through the leadership of some hiring managers, team leaders, executives who are increasing their definition of what they need to hire or what they could hire and work with. And not in a bad way, but more like, okay, let me open up my my pool a little bit to consider people who maybe traditionally wouldn't have passed the initial phone screen because I'm looking only at experience. I'm a product of that. So I think I think I have a lot of bias in that where, you know, when I look at my team, I will hire somebody who has proven that they can take a, a conceptual challenge and see that all the way through execution in subjects where they might not have the initial expertise, there's no reason they can't replicate that somewhere else. You know, as long as they have this established framework of, let me understand the people I'm working with and my stakeholders, then let me understand the processes and maybe the constraints that I'm working. And then the the P&L piece, like what can I afford to do? What are my resources? And marrying these three together, if somebody can think holistically like that, I really think any job is possible, barring, you know, I'm not going to jump into tax tomorrow, right? That's highly technical. But most jobs, I think, you're looking for that kind of transferability. If people have done it in the past, like there's no reason they can't do it again in the future. I think it's a great example. And the mentality of taking skills first approaches has also often been used to drive diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, being able to hire for skills over degrees. I know that that's an area that Hilti thinks about, and it sounds like that's something that was a component of uh, your focus in the People Engagement Office. Could you share a little bit more about what that involved? Now, this was like a, a real highlight, and I love to talk about it. And I can't talk about it without just shout-outing uh, this woman on my team, Anne-Marie, who was really the person behind the whole initiative. But we saw this business problem in talent management that there were certain roles where we were having some issues finding talent, whether internally or externally. And there were a lot of root causes as to why. The fact that we were in the same group, social impact and talent management, we were looking at our job descriptions and really starting to analyze, okay, does this job actually need a degree? What kind of training do these people receive the second they come through the door? Is a degree relevant to that training? If not, why not 
take that off and see what we can sub out with skills or experience or lived experiences. So that was the first thing is more of that, you know, DE&I lens. And then we thought, what's a way that we can marry our passion for making impact in communities and uplifting people who work in those communities and live where we operate, and then also fulfilling business need. And so this Project Catalyst was born where we decided to take an organization and partner with them. So we chose Goodwill Industries, a huge nonprofit. They help people come out of crisis and they offer a lot of support, things that maybe companies aren't quite equipped yet to handle. With Project Catalyst, we worked with Goodwill to find a group of people who, again, coming out of crisis, who really just needed a, a chance at a career who were highly, highly motivated, wanted to be trained. Then we had to find the right role for them to come into. And there we found a job that you didn't need any prior training. We were going to train you anyway. Then these two groups just came together. We had a partner in the business. We had a partner with Goodwill. And then we started hiring people, training them. And in the end, we've hired 30. And some of have already gone on to their second positions within Hilti and you can see it, how committed they are, you know, to developing a career here and changing the whole trajectory for their families, like from generations to come. So it's been such a cool experience. And now we're going to replicate that with a second position and just keep expanding this program wherever we can. The one thing we learned is you have to meet people where they are. So our traditional channels of like university or posting jobs weren't going to reach those people. So that's why we needed to, to partner with somebody and also somebody who understood the challenges that we wouldn't understand and could support them with transportation, childcare, financial literacy, like all of these things that were critical to maintaining a job. But a great example, the social impact program of how different the kinds of things that you can do within a company and the impact you can have in a company uh, can be beyond the obvious of what is the industry. You mentioned at the beginning that before Hilti, you didn't know how a building went up and that that was an exciting journey for you. You know, we have a number of clients in the construction industry alongside Hilti, companies like Balfour BT, and it's, it's something I'm seeing more and more as a differentiator in effective talent acquisition strategies showing the business impact, the social impact of the work that's being done and using that alongside skills identification as a EVP and talent acquisition strategy. How have you thought about incorporating these impact principles as well as taking a more data-driven and skills-driven approach towards that huge hiring challenge you mentioned? Well, we're, we're currently refreshing our EVP right now to humanize, I guess, our, our brand a bit more. We've uncovered this insight and it's not revolutionary, but Saying it out loud, I think, puts a lot of weight to it, is that construction is an industry that impacts every single person on the planet. Developing housing, schools, infrastructure. There's nothing that isn't touched by this industry in some form or fashion. So being a part of finding a way to do that in a more sustainable, you know, environmentally friendly and societally friendly way being part of that is, I think, hugely exciting. So we're trying to incorporate this mantra of making construction better into how we attract candidates. And what's cool, too, is when you think about those non-traditional profiles like tech software developers who we're going to need in large quantities, they're not going to think of us as 
their go-to. And we, we know that. But what we can offer is, hey, we have blank space. We have white space. There's so much innovation that's needed to develop because construction as an industry has not improved in productivity since the 80s. It's gone backwards, right? So we need, we need people who are going to bring it forward using technology and software, make it more efficient. But at the same time, we can offer you stability. We can offer you the benefits of being a family trust-held company, which is a little bit different, I think, than the normal tech experience where you come and go. What are some examples of initiatives that you have either run or thought about to help identify, attract, and actually hire that more scarce talent that is harder to rely on, particularly the tech talent you mentioned coming through traditional applications and sources? So we've decided to, to really focus in, you know, for resource allocation wise and to make the biggest impact on our company, eight critical profiles. And within these profiles, they're, they're pretty diverse. I mean, some of them are like the volume roles that we know we have to hire to keep the business going. And then some are those highly specialized, scarce roles that are going to be harder for us to attract and to find and eventually, you know, convert. So what we're doing is, and this is something we haven't done before, is targeted strategies that reach that particular profile. And it starts with first, of course, establishing our own umbrella EVP, but then taking it down one further segment and doing segmented strategies for each of these profiles. It starts with market intelligence. So what do we not know? I mean, candidates have evolved hugely over the last three years even, right? But the demands are different. The expectations are wildly different. So first, let's go out and learn about the people that we'd like to attract and eventually keep in this company. And that means partnering with an outside help that's going to come and do that market intelligence, tell us where these people live, what do they listen to, who do they listen to, what channels, what do they expect from an employer. And then eventually when we have that data, then we'll be able to be really specific and targeted talking to that particular profile. So what's important to somebody who's a software developer might not at all be the same that's important to somebody who's going to be boots on concrete selling our services. Those are going to be two different strategies. And we're in the initial stage of that. And are there particular tools or technologies that you or your team are using or excited about to help drive that change in how you're able to identify the right strategies, attract the right talent, other certain uh, initiatives that are being enabled through tools or platforms that you're finding useful? Yeah, we were running a pilot with our North American team using programmatic to attract candidates into our talent communities within Beamery, actually, which was a bit of a, a different strategy for us. Traditionally, if we did put advertising dollars behind things, it would be for a role. But now it was a much broader net we were casting, or at least a bigger purpose, but a still targeted pool. So we were specifically looking in one geography for one experience or skill set, and it was really successful. So that was really good for us to get people into our talent community. Now what's left is engaging them until there's a, a role that opens up. But we've already made quite a few hires from that particular campaign. So now it's a question of replicating what we've learned. Also learning from what's happening in marketing in general and bringing that to the people space because we have, I think, the room to be creative and to try new things and experiment and see what works. 
Well, actually, that's a good example of your cross-disciplinary experiences. You mentioned you worked in marketing previously. What are some of the experiences that you've had from working in marketing that you are bringing in to programs like this or bringing into the mentality of your talent team? I worked with some amazing marketers. And I think what I picked up from them is the way that you create what problem you're solving makes or breaks your final result. The more hyper-specific you can be about who you're targeting and where, the better your results are going to be. And if you're working with a partner, then, I mean, we would put so much emphasis on the briefing process and alignment on, again, what are we solving? Who are we targeting? Like these basic questions that sometimes we just skip because we're trying to like get the program out or, okay, this job has been open forever, so let's get this out. But being able to do it in a, in a more linear fashion, the way that a marketer would do it for you know a consumer product, I think is an interesting way to bring that discipline into the people space. I love that. There's been so much thought put in over the last few decades into being very people-centric at customer strategy level that the approaches in, in talent are only scratching the surface on. But that example of identifying personas being hyper-targeted is, uh, is exciting to see emerging and also emerging in a way that connects to this broader story of identifying potential, being inclusive, not defaulting to traditional patterns of just hiring from the same places, the same pools, the same backgrounds and degrees. I'd love to dig in on the other passion area and experience you have that you clearly bring into your work in running the talent acquisition function, your focus around coaching people. What does that involve? And are there things that you have brought into your role in talent acquisition or are bringing into your team's way of working that takes stock of your experiences as a coach? Coaching has fundamentally changed the way I view my role as a leader and then how I view HR, actually, the, the function of HR and the way that it supports people on a one-to-one -one or a group basis. RTA transformation is one that is requiring a ton of very careful change management. And I would say, you know, the default for Hilti, for most companies where I've seen big change is there's a really big push effort in the beginning, new process, rollout, big splash. And then we see the change curve kind of diminish, you know, and people maybe fall back into old habits. And then we realize, oh, it's not working quickly. Another push, right? So you have this bit of a, of a wave. And we partnered with this company called Mighty. Their whole philosophy is sustained change. So how do you go up, but then like stay up? And you do that through the principles that are very aligned with, with coaching. And it's more about talking people through the implications of the change, talking about what's holding them back from fully making a transition, like what could happen if you let go of this a little bit and not held it so tightly? What is possible if things seem impossible to you? And the way that we've developed this change management program is really, we like to call it change engagement versus management because it's very much leading with your heart and not necessarily just the head, which has been the default, I think, in business. At the end of the day, we have this group of human beings who, for whatever reason, you know, some like change and some don't. We're, we're starting out with a pretty diverse group. So it's a matter of speaking to what do you get out of the change? How could you grow your career if you went all in on this? What is the upside, basically, of going through the pain? And I think those are things that 
come from a discipline like coaching, where you're asking questions instead of telling the person. That's how I've seen at least my own leadership style evolve since my training is rather than tell you the answer, like you already know the answer. It's just a matter of finding it and putting pieces together. So let's spend five minutes me asking you thought-provoking questions. And then at the end of the day, you're going to own whatever it is, is the result of that conversation. And you're more likely then to follow through. You're more likely to make sure that it works, right? Than if I tell you to go do this. So that's been kind of the foundation that I have set coming into the transformation and really lucky to have found a partner that thinks the same way and will help us to make that more programmatic than the one-to-one coaching experience. Has the types of questions that you've been asking in your coaching or with your team influenced how you think about talent identification? Do you look at coachability or people who would have a way of embracing this mindset in your talent acquisition programs? I do a lot of research on my own just on adult development and the stages of adult development. And so it's almost like, I don't know, this compulsion to try to figure out where this person sits on the curve, not in a judging way, but more in a, okay, now what questions can I ask them that's going to take them to the edge of kind of what the next level of their development is? The thread, I think, that's common with the people who I tend to then hire or recommend is how curious are they? If we're talking about something and they don't know, how do they go about communicating the fact that they don't know? And then what questions do they ask to develop themselves in a way that like where they will know? And I think having that openness to learning and just the, the curiosity... Whether you like to learn a variety of things or you like to specialize, it doesn't matter to me. It's tell me, what are you obsessed with that you just have to know more about? And if somebody can clearly communicate that, you can take that energy and just put it someplace else and then lead them through this whole new side of development that they may not have considered. I'm seeing this question of hiring for curiosity arising more frequently in this new wave of AI-centric mindsets that a lot of businesses are confronting. Because as uh, someone recently said at the World Economic Forum, AI isn't replacing humans. Humans with AI are replacing humans without AI in every company and industry to some degree. And even though I think today that perhaps is uh, slightly overblown, it's a good example of how change is accelerating and it's hard as a company to top down identify all the opportunities for people to improve themselves or adopt technologies because most of the tools people are adopting aren't company tools. It's personal learning, personal ways of adjusting your mindset and so embracing curiosity and then as a business providing transparency around what's important, what's making an impact so people can use their own curiosity to find ways of adjusting is becoming a pretty big theme within how businesses are trying to become more agile, unlock more potential out of their people. But a lot of this is difficult to do with habits and you know ways we operate as organizations. How have you thought about your coaching experiences as a mechanism to unlearn certain habits in HR, the mindset of HR being 10 years ago, many would have folks would have seen HR as a cost center or service center. I think now increasingly HR and talent is seen as a critical function for driving better business decisions and talent decisions. But a lot of inherent workflows are reactive rather than forward-looking. I had to unlearn a lot of bad habits, (laughs) things that I've picked up over the years. And I think it comes from wanting to be helpful. So the go-to is always, 
okay, you bring to me this problem and I'm just going to solve face value what I see and move on to the next person who might need my attention. I mean, HR is, you got to have a fast pace nowadays. What I have found, and it's more painful for sure to go through this, but you end up with a much more sustainable leadership team is to not solve their problem. 99% of the time, again, if they spent five minutes like really thinking about what was in front of them, they could solve it themselves. So it's a matter of taking that leader who's brought to you this thing that he needs your support on through a series of questions that are going to eventually answer his question. And what you're doing is you're teaching people, I mean, this might sound condescending, but you're, you're teaching them to think for themselves and to be self-sufficient. And there are things, of course, where you want an HR partner to bounce things off of. But a lot of times the teams within HR get a little bit bogged down with things that they don't necessarily need to be super involved with. But if you can equip your leaders with tools to self-sustain a little bit more and ask themselves the right question, then chances are you're going to free up your time to then be even more valuable to the organization. But there's just that chunk of time, again, where you're, you're developing and training and bringing this new thing where you have to keep the discipline to keep the track. Well, I think this principle of how does everybody who works in HR, whether it's in talent acquisition, even specific roles like sourcing, or as HR business partners, become a more effective coach and advisor is a key theme of conversation for any leaders looking at what is the future of people management? What is the future of HR? How do HR teams partner with the business? If you think five years from now, the initiatives that you've been running to change your talent function and uh, improve how HR teams are working and our advisors to the business have had effect, and you think about what that means in terms of how the role of HR has changed and what new skills or ways of working are needed, how would you describe that? I run the, the talent acquisition function. So five years from now, if everything that we have done has worked, what we're hoping to see is a set of talent acquisition business partners and sourcers who understand the market and understand the profiles that they're hiring for, that the hiring manager just inherently kind of trusts their initial judgment. You know, right now when we're having these conversations with our hiring managers, it's a little bit more of like order taking. So here I would hope to see that, you know, these are your talent advisors. There's literally no one closer to the talent market and that they are equipped, whether it's with data or anecdotal information of here's what you're asking for, here's how long it's going to take, and here's what we can expect to get or what the process should look like or what these candidates, what they expect the experience to look like. So I'm hoping for them to feel really confident and well-educated on the market that they're trying to serve. And I think from what you've described, a lot of that is already in flight with you starting to use market intelligence, more programmatic approaches to talent communities. If you were to share one last insight into what you're most excited about on the near-term horizon of things that hopefully are a step towards that change, what comes to mind? I'm just most excited about unlocking the potential of our recruiter team and our TA team. I mean, I just feel like they're really underutilized right now for their skill sets. And there isn't one process improvement or one program or a campaign that's going to make as much difference as how we empower them to deliver upon a candidate experience that matches the experience once you're an employee at Hilti. 
And that's kind of been the hardest thing is how do we recreate that in an interaction where the recruiter, of course, is educated on the company, but can make you feel as if you work here. And that's, that's a really hard thing to do. So if we can unlock that, I think we're golden. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery, the talent lifecycle management platform that helps organizations attract, retain, redeploy, and develop the skills they need. Learn more at Beamery.com.